With less than a week to go until the WTA restart in Palomo, everything looked like it was going ahead as planned until the world number two Simona Halep announced a very late withdrawal from the tournament citing complications in getting from Romania or Bulgaria on the other hand to Italy. It resulted in a nasty reaction from the Palermo tournament directors who were visibly annoyed by the world number two's late decision. Plenty to get through today and much more on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host Val Febo. I finally got there. Uh, that's probably the fifth time I've tried that intro this morning. <laughs> but uh, Joel Frucci's on the other line, laughing his head off. So Joel, how are you? Yeah, yeah I'm going okay, Val. We're all locked up inside, but uh, yeah, a bit of comic relief uh, this morning. Uh, sounds pretty cruel of me, but um, yeah, to, to be honest, it was pretty. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I was trying to get that intro right. God, I had it. I had it so many times, um, and th- that's the problem with pre-recording things. You know that you've kind of got that pitfall and with podcasts yeah. you have that pitfall where you can actually go back and edit things so you can just do it bang off off the top and I had it right the first two times and then one word stumbled me and um yeah the problem with doing things ad hoc hey but um yeah plenty to get through today we've got a big show there is a storm coming Joel Storm Sanders going to join us world yeah. number 76 on the WTA in doubles and 256 in singles as well but a lot of news this week, but before we get into that, how are you going with lockdown and everything? You, uh, how, how have you adjusted to the compulsory wearing of masks outside in uh, in Melbourne? Yeah, it's it's all right. Um, they're actually not too bad. The the, the one good thing about them is that uh, if you're outside and it's freezing cold, as it tends to be here in uh, in Melbourne, they actually heat up your face quite quickly. But um, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't wear glasses, so uh, I can only imagine that uh, you know people like yourself that, that wear them. Um, they, they, and I've seen, I've seen it firsthand. They do fog up glasses quite badly, so I haven't had to contend with it in that sense. The amount of masks that I've thrown over the past few days, just out of sheer anger, has been <laughs> uh, has been ridiculous. Not to mention the amount of tantrums I, I, I've thrown. Um, the like, because even when you talk, they just they they move on your face, and it's just. And what about if you go for a walk and you go get a coffee on your walk? How the hell are you supposed to drink it? You're not supposed to yeah, touch well, the mask, so it's just it's yeah. a don't get a coffee. But what if I really want a coffee or I need a coffee? It's first world problems right there. But I could go on yeah. about how bad masks are all day. I will wear it. Yes, I'm not I'm not one of those Karens on TV that won't wear it. I'm gonna wear it, but I'm gonna complain about it every single time. So that's the catch twenty two. So I'll wear it, yep. but you'll hear it. Um, but no, let's let's get into the tennis news and Simona Halep announcing her withdrawal from. The uh, Palermo Tennis Open next week, and uh, I think so. It was the it was due to the the um inability to travel from Romania or Bulgaria into Italy, and look, that's perfectly understandable. But apparently, all of the um parameters were adhered to by the tournament. They were pretty irritated that 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 um that then that ended up being the case. So Halep's tweet came out and said, and also um given the rising COVID cases around Europe, she said. Given the recent rise in COVID cases in Romania and my anxieties around international air travel at this time, I've made the tough decision to withdraw from Palermo. I want to thank the tournament director and Italian Ministry of Health uh, for all the efforts on my behalf. So, obviously, very, very nervous. She's not going to the US, which is fair enough. Uh, but Palermo were just as irritated at the outcome. And, um, yeah, they were, they were pretty annoyed because... Uh, Looking at the looking at their response to the um, to Simona Halep's tweet, I'll uh, 
I'll read that here for you. So, uh, Simona Halep has decided not to play the Palermo Ladies Open. It's been communicated by the uh, Romanian players manager, Virginia Ruzici, um, who explained that the decision is due to the anti-COVID provisions that impose quarantine to all people coming from Romania or Bulgaria. And we found out with great bitterness the decision of the world number two to cancel her participation to the 31st Palermo Ladies Open, said that uh, the tournament's director, Oliviero Palma. Um, yesterday, we were optimistic and we had informed Halep's staff about the fact that professional players are not obliged to quarantine. Regional assessor of, um, of health, Ruggiero Razza, um, who we thank for his promptness and clarity, had directly sent Halep an official communication explaining how the ordinance of the Ministry of Health was not to be applied to workers, therefore neither to professional tennis players. Nevertheless, Halep's staff only communicated us with the final decision, um, only uh, only communicated us, the, communicated us the final decision, which is frustrating for all our efforts. We are embittered and profoundly disappointed. So, yeah, not good. Yeah, well, it's an interesting choice of words that they've gone with. Um, embittered and bitterly disappointed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the word bitter is is quite profound. But, mm. um, yeah, look, I, I guess, um, can you really blame Simona? No, um, not at all. I mean, I don't blame her at all. I mean, um, this 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 should be a decision that's entirely up to the players. And okay, yes, she's she had committed to playing in Palermo to, to restart things on the WTA side of things. So naturally, it's a big um, it's a big draw card um, for the Palermo Open, regardless of how many. I'm not even sure if any crowds were going to be allowed to be let into that tournament, but um, you know, even for even for, for broadcast broadcast revenue, it's obviously a big pull having the world number two at your event. Yeah. But throughout this whole thing, I don't I don't regardless of, of whether players commit, as we've seen in many parts of the world, the situation around COVID nineteen can change in an instant with a mm. click of the fingers, basically. Yep. So I think it's completely fine, and this is just me talking as someone that isn't, you know, banking on a tournament, trying to make a livelihood, essentially, trying to run a business. But as a fan of the sport, as, um, I guess, a journalist, whatever we want to call ourselves, a podcaster, um, I don't think anyone can blame the players for being at all apprehensive and changing their mind because this is just a situation that moves so unbelievably quickly. Um, I I just, if if anyone feels apprehensive from, and of course, Simone has cited some reasons around, um, you know, the quarantine provisions, but um, just in terms of the virus itself and safety, you, you really cannot blame anyone for, no. for for being anxious about this. And the next thing we're going to talk about, Val, is Grigor Dimitrov, who came out in an interview with Tennis Majors the other day and talked about his own experience having contracted the virus. And this is more than a month after he actually contracted it, still feeling the effects. So if a guy like Grigor, who is at the peak of his powers, at 29 years old, he's a professional tennis player, um, you could argue he's never looked better in, in his life. Um, you know, if a guy like him can can have been infected a month ago and still feel the effects, and he, by by his account, he contracted a lot of the the real, uh, I guess, um, hard symptoms. Like he lost his sense of taste, smell, fatigue. He had all those symptoms. So if a guy like him can get it, then I, I don't blame someone like Simona Harlop at all for, for still being anxious about this. I think it's completely fine. Yeah, I agree, 100%. And uh, look, Halep, and this is where the tournament directors of Palermo need to understand, we are in a time of uncertainty. We are in a time where 
as you said, anything can change by the click of your fingers. And COVID-19 does not take any prisoners. And we've been saying that for months and months and months. And the fact that they're upset that Halep has pulled out late, it's like, you should have been expecting this. Business owners, and they are supposed to prepare for plan Bs, plan Cs, plan Ds, all the way down to plan Z. They would have had a, a plan in place if Halep was to cancel. And I'm sure some of them would have been expecting it. Some of them would have, even though, yes, they've been communicating that, yes, everything's going to be healthy, everything's going to be fine. It's like you should still have with some element of doubt that Halep might not show up and that some of the players might not show up, even though they've indicated their intent. Because, as you said, it can change very, very quickly. And we've seen that in Melbourne. We thought we were fine here. But now all of a sudden, you know, yesterday there were 500 cases. So, you know, you, you just don't know. And, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing that they've, they've had this reaction, they've come out and said this, because essentially if I'm Simona Halep, I'm never going there again. I'm never playing that tournament. I'm, I'm just saying, you know what, if you're going to disregard my decision and publicly denounce my decision, why would I come to this tournament ever again? And they've essentially lost that player because Halep doesn't need to go to this tournament. She really doesn't. She's Simona Halep. Anywhere she goes, yeah. she's going to be a draw card. So I yeah. think it's re- it's a dumb decision by the tournament to come out and, and make such an such a heinous statement and to come out and say they're embittered with the decision. It's like, well, you know what? If I'm if I'm Halep, I'm saying, well, I don't care. I'm putting my health first. I come first. The tournament doesn't come first. Yeah, so- exactly. And I think just just before as well, Val. Just before we get to Gregor, I think something that's really important to point out as well is it's really um, it's kind of saddening to see that an Italian-based tournament would have that kind of approach. Now, obviously, Palermo is in southern Italy. Now, southern Italy, even though it was hit by COVID-19, it wasn't as badly hit as northern Italy. No. But that said, Italy as a country had a first-hand experience of how hard this thing can hit, right? And speaking of not being prepared, unfortunately, Italy were one of the countries that weren't prepared to start with. I mean, no one was prepared to start with. It was just really unfortunate that... In the beginning, they were one of the first countries affected when probably the majority of the world had no idea just how um, how insanely infectious this thing was and how quickly it could just ravage a community. But Italy saw firsthand how bad this exactly. thing could get. So it's actually really it's actually really disappointing that the tournament organisers have actually taken that stance against Simone. Yep, I, I think so as well. It's really it's it's a disgusting statement. I just and look, yes, you've been transparent yes you've communicated everything yes you know you've done all the right things but that doesn't necessarily mean that the right outcome is going to occur and yes it is disappointing that Halep's not going to be there I was looking forward to watching her next week but uh, it's COVID-19 you have to put yourself first we've paint we've and put your health first we've seen people just take shortcuts and shortcut after shortcut after shortcut over the last few months. The Adria tour was a disaster. What happened in what's happening in America is a disaster. South America, Melbourne is becoming a disaster. So people just need to calm down. This is a time of uncertainty. Palermo need to really take a good hard look at their statement and just say, okay, you know what, we stuffed up here. And if I'm Simona Halep, I'm never going there again. And I'm saying, you know what, I'm not playing this tournament. If she does play this tournament, credit to her, she's the bigger person. But um, yeah, 
fingers crossed that fingers crossed the tournament does go uh, does go well next week. They've still got Johanna Konta, Marketa Vondrasova, and Petra Martic in the draw as well. So um, plenty of good talent still playing in uh, in Palermo next week. But you did mention Grigor Dimitrov, Joel, and he did a uh, he did an interview the other day um, at the Ultimate Tennis Showdown um, in the south of France and. He's been isolating for about a month. He said he spent 5,000 hours um, at home by himself. Um, there's worse places to be in an apartment in Monte Carlo. But, um, yeah, uh, when you're by yourself for that long, I guess um, things would get pretty boring. But um, here's a little bit, a little bit of what uh, Grigor Dimitrov had to say in that interview about the effects and the symptoms of COVID-19. I mean, the virus was hard on me, so I stayed home for about, uh, yeah, for about a month. So um, I was obviously I was not breathing well. I was not feeling well. Tired, you know the symptom. The symptoms um, had no taste, no smell, everything that you could possibly think. So it was no fun. But um, you know, I, I, in a way, I'm kind of lucky to be on the court right now. I'm just trying to put effort every single day right now, and even if I'm tired or not, to 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 keep progressing because you just don't know. Grigor Dimitrov there with thanks to the Ultimate Tennis Showdown and Joel. Pretty damning. Um, yeah, the COVID symptoms don't seem to... Yeah, they, they just seem to keep going and going. And yeah, a month later, he's still feeling the effects and the, and um, feeling lethargic from it. Yeah, um, I mean, as we as we spoke about before, Val, I mean, this is a guy at, at the peak of his powers. And um, I think it's a timely lesson, especially uh, in the position that we're in in, in Melbourne, where um, infections of this thing have just gone out of control we had 500 yesterday more than 500 and it looks like we're going to get close to 400 again uh today on on tuesday but um you know even i think just just generally for for the world it's it's an important lesson um you know for for anyone out there that still doesn't take this thing seriously um is still sort of willing to treat any any social restrictions with with contempt wearing a mask with contempt whatever it is um I just hope they watch this interview that Gregor's done, um, and 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 they can see that, you know, even though a lot of people that have unfortunately, uh, you know, been that have passed away with this thing, um, and have been have been uh, hospitalised, it's not limited just to the elderly or to people with um, immune deficiencies or pre-existing health problems. I mean, Gregor Dimitrov is a guy that is just so incredibly fit and for him to have been housebound for a month and still feeling the effects. And let's face it, I mean, he's he's probably looking to play the US Open, but whether he's actually fit enough to play, we don't know. Yep. So, I mean, that's what, two and a half months after he, he contracted the virus? That's a long time, right? So, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, 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 think, I think the biggest lesson to come out of this is that if, if Grigor is forced to withdraw from the U S open because of lasting COVID-19 symptoms, I mean, that, 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 that is an example that really should be, um, I think highlighted across the world because I mean, it's just, it's just profound that this thing could sideline a professional tennis player, 29 years old, nearly three months later. I mean, that is, that is a huge thing. I don't think, I think the most important thing out of this is, is the lesson. Um, I think it's, it's really, really important. Yeah, I think so as well, and I think if if that's not an indication to to take care, then I don't really know what is Joel. And I think the the big the the problem that I like I had glandular fever last year, and I don't know what the comparisons are with COVID and with glandular, but in a sense, it, you're feeling the effects of it. It seems as though you're feeling the effects of it for a month after, and you feel and the fatigue with glandular was was pretty prominent like 
you get to about four o'clock in the afternoon and you are absolutely wrecked when you just get back to your normal day-to-day routine. So I don't see why that would be any different with COVID and more people are dying of that, which is, it's scary. It is scary. And for Dimitrov, as you said, for someone that's so physically fit, the guy is ripped. He He is is just, he's a specimen and he doesn't, and he just, it seems as though he just takes care of himself all the time. So the fact that he's come down for a month and had to isolate and had all of those hard hitting symptoms. Well, and even in the interview he did, and you, you listen to his voice. He sounds fragile, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. So yeah, he he doesn't sound himself. So, um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if Dimitrov halfway through the U S open, if he gets through a few rounds, he feels the effects of it. And it would not surprise me at all, but um, I guess it's a wait and see situation. Speaking, we'll continue on the COVID train, and Tennis Australia has confirmed that it will uh, it will assess how the French Open and US Opens go before making a decision on what they do with the Australian Open. At the moment, it is um, it's confirmed that they uh, Craig Tiley confirmed that I think crowds will be down, um, and it won't be at full capacity next year, which is bitterly bitterly disappointing, but perfectly understandable. But from a Melbourne point of view, it's not it's not what we wanted to see at all, is it? No, it's not. I mean, we love the Australian Open, and um, yeah, again, this is it's it's interesting though because this is another one of those things that could easily be different next week and the week after that, and who knows where we'll be by October, November. I mean, I hope we're in a good position, but the way things are going in uh, in Melbourne at the moment, um, I even though obviously January is still quite some time away, it's pretty much five months away. Yeah. Um, it's, it's at the moment, it's difficult to see any, anyone at the Australian open, to be honest, um, mm. can see it going ahead. Yep. But, um, just the amount of, the amount of foot traffic that passes through Melbourne park, even, even if crowds were reduced by say, uh, 50% to like, what, what would that be? What's, what's an average, what's an average day's attendance? I wonder. Um, uh, I know the, the middle, the, the middle Saturday is generally the big day they do. They get a hundred thousand in the crowd there, but like first day one, day two, they get about 30, 40, maybe just depending on it's school holidays, people home. Um, yeah, yeah. So about that. Um, yeah. So, so for say for day one or day two, you're probably looking at, uh, at 50%, you're probably looking at about 20,000 people. Now, um, I guess the, the biggest concern that I would have is, not necessarily who's passing through the grounds and what contact is being made, but it's then after that, how do you safely disperse people from, from the venue at the end of a day's play whenever they leave? Obviously, it's not a set end time. It is um, a log jam. Yeah, but more often than not, a lot of people tend to leave at similar times around sort of 6 o'clock there or thereabouts when the night session is about to kick in. How do you make sure that patrons leaving that venue don't crowd onto trains and things like that. That's when you've really got a problem. So, um, look, I have a lot of belief in Craig Tiley. I think he's a really good operator. Um, So, yeah, look, um, again, I I hope the event goes ahead, but it's at the moment it's really hard to see how it's going to be done with fans. But, again, um, I guess we can only look at what's currently existing, what's out there, what Craig Tiley said. But um, I think – the, the rhetoric out of Tennis Australia will be potentially a lot different in November. I mean, who who knows what, what it's going to look like? I mean, we just mm. we just don't know. We can't yeah. even predict what's going to happen next week, let alone in January. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, 
Yeah, look, fingers crossed that we can get a we can get a full scale tournament away, but at the moment it doesn't seem as though like we're not even playing footy in Melbourne at the moment. So and whether we're going to get that back, we don't even know. So um, yeah, fingers crossed that the Australian Open can go ahead at least in some form. Um, but uh, I think there's even been a few calls on social media to move it to Sydney, but that is definitely not happening. So I think if it's going ahead, it's going ahead in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, I, look, I. I'm excited to see what what the announcements will be, but yeah, if there's if there's even limited crowd, twenty thousand people getting out of Melbourne Park into the tram stops or leaving onto Olympic Boulevard or, or leaving through the MCG car parks, um, it's all it, it, there's people everywhere you look. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's 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 a difficult situation. And just one one quick one before we do get to our special guest, Storm Sanders, China has cancelled all ATP and WTA tournaments in the country for the rest of the year, and so they damn well should, um, in my opinion, after what uh, after what's transpired from that country there, because, um, yeah, it's just an absolute disaster. Yeah, and important to note as well that there is actually a government ban on international sporting events, so pretty much no choice, really. Yeah, exactly. So had to happen, and yeah, it did. So yeah, I think that's all we can say on the matter because it's just it's been a disaster of a year, and yeah, I uh, wouldn't be going back there anytime soon after what's happened. It's um, it, it's just it's yeah, it's just this year has just been an absolute debacle, twenty twenty, but. It did bring a rebirth of Breakpoint podcast, and um, and we we can't really complain about that, can we? Working on a no, cure, for, working on a <laughs> cure for COVID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh maybe. maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's let's get to our interview with Storm move Sanders. Right along. <laughs> move along. It's our special guest, Storm Sanders. So, Joel, our special guest on today's show is a lady that's had such a great year in 2019 in terms of double success. And in single, she's really starting to come back into her own after a few injuries. But her name is Storm Sanders, and she joins us now on Breakpoint Podcast. Storm, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Well, we hope we can uh, fulfill the excitement here on uh, on Breakpoint. But world number 276 on the WTA in singles and 75 in doubles, which is no mean feat. Um, just quickly, talk us through how you've gone with um, COVID and, and the COVID shutdown because living in Melbourne at the moment, but from Perth. And, um, yeah, how, how are you going based in Melbourne and, um, yeah, back with, with all of us here in Victoria? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> well, I think, um, you know, the first time we went into lockdown, it wasn't too bad because I think the whole world was going through it and, I just came back from Mexico, so I was away for maybe four weeks. Um, so I was kind of happy just to be home, and you know, we didn't really know what was going to happen with like the tour and um, how long the lockdown was going to last and stuff. So I think at the beginning, everyone was in it together in a way. Like all of Australia was in lockdown. Um, you know, we're doing uh, group like trivia nights uh, every second week. We're doing cooking classes together. So it was actually like kind of fun in a way, and just nice to be home and spend some time at my house and um you know my I live with my boyfriend but my family are in Perth so I actually you know haven't seen my family but just being able to have like a bit more of a routine um but yeah this second lockdown I think has hit everyone pretty hard I know a lot of the tennis players it's been pretty tough but yeah we're still able to train outside on the clay courts at Melbourne Park which is great um and have an outdoor gym so you know, it's been nice to be able to train, have some sort of normality for us. But I think this is harder too because a lot of us are planning, some people are going to US Open. Um, 
you know, I'm looking maybe going to Europe to play because the tour is resuming. So, you know, it's kind of weird that we're kind of getting ready to play and the preparation's been completely different to how we used to. So, and also seeing other states, you know, being yeah. out, being able to do whatever they, you know, want, have a bit more freedom and, and whatnot. So I guess that has been a little bit hard, but, um, you know, all of us here in Victoria, I think are trying to stick together and help each other get through it. Yeah, brilliant. And um, well, you mentioned the plans as well of going to Europe. So the plan is the plan to go straight to Europe and bypass the US swing because your doubles ranking would probably get you into the US Open, even though they have halved the draw, if I'm right. I'm not too sure on that. But um, so is that the plan as it stands right now? Yeah, so I, ha- I had a big, pretty big decision to make, um, you know, try to get into US Open. Where my ranking is, I'm probably like borderline. Um, but for me, I didn't want to take that risk because also my ranking, if, you know, my partner's like obviously going to be 30 or 40 in the world. And if, if we're borderline, they might choose to try and play with someone else just to be guaranteed. So I felt like at my ranking and my position, um, it just wasn't worth the risk trying to organize to go over there. And last minute, I, I'm not been able to play you know um so yeah i kind of made the decision that i was just going to cut the us um and go straight to europe there's some tournaments starting i think august 3rd actually next week which is yeah. kind of crazy uh, in palermo but um i'm not exactly sure when i'm going to go yet if it's it could be prague the week of august 10th i might play that event um doubles there but it could still be another three or four weeks i'm, I'm honestly not sure to be honest but i have approval to leave the country so i'm in a good position i can leave you know, when I choose to. Yeah, no, that's great to hear, Storm. And um, tell you what, if it's not Palermo, Prague's not a, not a bad place at all to, to get restarted. It's a really nice city. But um, we've, uh, we've we've spoken to a few players, both on the women's and the men's sides, about sort of the, uh, I guess, the contact they've had with um, with the powers that be in tennis, whether it's the WTA or the ATP or, or any tournament organisers. And, um, well, everything that we've heard points to the fact that uh, on the women's side, the communication um, from the WTA has been uh, has been pretty good. So how have you found things? Yeah, honestly, the WTA have been great. Um, they've been very transparent. Um, we have a meeting once a week with, with the WTA and they're super honest. Um, Steve Simon, um, yeah, he's great. He's been like, you know, just telling us what his thoughts are and just giving us the realistic um, view of how things are operating and, and how they're thinking about things and also giving us the opportunity to speak our opinions and say, out, like, you know, voice our concerns if, you know, we're feeling uncomfortable and whatnot. So I think it's, we've been really lucky because I have heard on the men's side with the ATP, I think they've only had um, one meeting yeah. throughout this whole time from what I've heard. And, um, you know, I heard that meeting was hours long and a lot of arguments and disagreements, I guess. So, um, you know, we are really lucky that, you know, we have a meeting once a week. Um, we get a lot of emails just updating us with information. We have like a weekly players newsletter um even tennis australia we have a meeting with craig tiley once a week as well um just giving us an update with um you know just travel restrictions um just news if he's heard anything about us open or the tour that we haven't also giving us a chance to say you know things that we're worried about too um so yeah we've been really lucky i think they've been doing a great job and you know i feel super confident um that if i do travel and make those decisions that i have you know, all the facts that they've given me and, yeah, I'm comfortable to make those decisions. Beautiful. And, yeah, we, we had Andrew Harris on a few weeks ago and he teed off on uh, on a few people <laughs> on the ATP side and he, he wasn't happy at all with, with how they've handled things. So that was very, very eye-opening. But um, talk us through, now, 2019 was a really good year for you in terms of your doubles ranking, getting yourself back inside the top 100. And after 
after a massive injury layoff in 2018. And I think it was a shoulder, if I'm right. You've also had back injuries and shoulder injuries, uh, ankles, shoulders, everything. Um, how do you... How do you go about um about doing the rehab and about coming and how do you go about coming back from such serious injuries where where you're off for such a long time and and does that help you in in this COVID break saying you know what I know the routines I know how to get back and I'm actually fit this time so I can really work on my game. Yeah, it's um interesting because in 2018, yeah, I had my shoulder injury. I didn't have surgery or anything. Um, I just ended up being out for a year. I think I had about six or seven months where I didn't hit a ball and three or four of those months were literally just shoulder pain, um, you know, every day. And I, I get scans every few weeks and it would kind of show something different. Um, so there's nothing there. So those probably months were the hardest because it was like, I'd see the doctor one week on a Wednesday and he'd tell me, Oh, it's still sore. Like I'm still getting the same symptoms. Okay. See how it goes next week. So I never really had, um, I guess, clarity at the beginning of what my injury was and how long it was going to take. Like, I remember talking to my um, doubles partner, Monique. I was like, yeah, I'll see you in a month. Like, just let me rest this, do my rehab, and I'll be fine. Like, I'll see you in a month. We'll plan to play the rest of the year. And I wasn't playing singles at this stage. I already decided um, I was going to play some doubles and focus on that. Um, yeah, I guess that month turned into a year. And, um, yeah, it was tough. Like, it really wasn't easy. Um, you know, a lot of the time I didn't know – yeah, if I was actually going to come back and play tennis, I didn't know if my shoulder was going to be fine to actually play. I just wanted like to not have pain driving or, um, you know, cooking or just day-to-day stuff. So once, you know, I was pain-free with that stuff, I was like, oh, okay, let's try hit a tennis ball and see how it goes. So, um, yeah, like I've had a lot of injuries and I actually find this break now is harder than the injuries because usually with the injuries you have like things you need to do for the week. So you have goals of like, okay, with my rehab, I need to do 10 of these without pain or whatever. So every week you have like these goals that you need to keep, you know, achieving and you feel like you're getting somewhere. Whereas here it's like, I'm ready to go. I want to play matches. I want to like see my ranking go up and achieve these results on court, you know, that I have been doing the last um, few months or end of 2019. And, you know, I am feeling good. Like I'm fit and healthy and I'm kind of stuck here, I guess. So it's been different, but I've been trying to find things, yeah, to keep working on having goals, you know. Yeah, goal setting's great. Um, and uh, I read with great interest as well, Storm, that um, your uh, upbringing is a bit of a, a military upbringing. I think your parents were, were in, the, in the military. So, like, having, um, having that kind of experience, are there any, any things, uh, I guess, that you've seen or that you can take from your parents that you've seen that kind of help you in those, um, in those moments where it's a, bit, it's a bit tough mentally and you, you, know, you have to try and be a bit resilient and, and break through those barriers? Uh, yeah, definitely. So both both my parents are in the Navy um, and my brother was in the Army for a while. He was in there for about four or five years. Um, my mom's actually on deployment at the moment. So she's, I think, she's in the news the other day, her ship, like in the South China Sea. Um, so, you know, I didn't hadn't heard from her for a while. And the next minute I see her, you know, ship on the news and, and whatever. So she's, yeah, away at the moment. But for me, like, I, I think they taught me to be um, very independent from such a young age. So, you know, at 14 years old, like my mom would make me book my flights and accommodation and, you know, just do my entries and stuff, which, you know, a lot of the kids at that age weren't doing that. And my mom was like, well, it's your career. Like if you want to do it, like we'll support you, but you have to do it yourself and you have to work hard and, and whatnot. And I guess like for me, you know, they always make these jokes that, you know, I'm the tennis player. Like I'm the lucky, you know, I'm so lucky to get to do what I do. Like they're in the military and doing their crazy jobs and they're, I guess, looking after our country and I'm the lucky one who gets to play tennis. So I think 
yeah, I have to remind myself of that when those moments get tough or if I'm traveling by myself in some random country and whatever, I'm like, well, my mom's, you know, on a ship and I can't, you know, she has no contact with anyone. So, you know, I am pretty lucky to do what I do. And that independence that you said you had at 14, I'm still bloody asking my mum if I should book a doctor's appointment now and I'm 24. <laughs> so, so no, I, uh, I think I've still got a little bit of growing up to do, <laughs> but um, no, it's, um, it, it is, it is good in the way that it sort of, sort of teaches you that organization at, at, at a younger age. But I, I also heard recently that you prefer doubles over singles as a career. And can you give us some, um, a little indication as a, as to why and, it was back in the uh, back a few years ago. You got a little bit of anxiety more so in singles than doubles. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I got injured in 2018, that year was a really tough year for me. Um, with singles, I think like I almost had too high of expectations, and when I went out there, I'd start to panic. I didn't know what to do on court. I wasn't clear with what I was trying to do in my game style or my brand of tennis, and I was just thinking about the results like way too much. Um, you know, I'd go out there and already think, what if I lose this match? It's like zero zero. You know, it's the first game of the match, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if I lose this? What's going to happen? And you know, worried about, I guess, all of that stuff instead of just thinking, well, you know, I love playing tennis. Like I've done it since I was little. It's all I've ever known, and I absolutely love it. So instead of just going out there and finding it as a challenge, and I guess enjoying that challenge and trying to find a way to, yeah, work through the process. And if you lose, you lose. Like it's, you know, as long as you're giving it. Um, you're all and you're trying to find a way and you, you know you're mentally giving it your best effort there's nothing you can do you know the win or the loss it it's just it is what it is um so I started to find doubles I guess fun because I had a partner there um someone who also just helped me relax and I would also focus on them not so much how I was feeling you know like I would feel like I want to make sure they're relaxed and they're calm so I actually end up playing better because I'm not so worried about myself um but at the moment I don't know if I prefer doubles over singles. I, I don't know. I've, I've had some good singles results, um, you know, earlier this year as well. And I've been loving it. It's been a lot of fun. But I think doubles is a great opportunity and a great pathway for some players if, you know, they're struggling with their singles. Um, just to, yeah, give themselves a career. It's a great, um, great career path. And if you can do well, you can, you know, have a chance at winning slams and titles. Yeah, amazing. And don't talk yourself down. You've had a great start to the year in singles, ended up getting through to the second round in Thailand where you played Alina Svitolina. Talk us through that experience on facing a top 10 player. Yeah, so that was actually, that was pretty cool. Like, I'd never played a top 10 player um, in singles. So it was, um, yeah, it was tough because I felt like I was there by myself and I'm so used to being by myself, you know, when I'm away and I guess having my own routine and stuff. But once you're playing a top 10 player, like there's a lot more media, um, people interested in the match, um, getting more messages from home and coaches. And I was playing on center court and at like prime time, I think at night time and, you know, just a lot more interest. And I hadn't really experienced that before in singles. So I think it kind of almost that took away, took me away from the match and what I had to do and just backing my game and being like, you know what, I have nothing to lose. Like I'm ranked 300 or whatever I was at the time like she's top 10 she's like you know contending grand slam titles um so you know just go out there have fun enjoy it whereas I kind of got a little bit caught up in I guess the other stuff and almost like putting too much pressure on myself to I don't know hit winners and like you know be the better player in a way so I, I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't think I played my best match and I was making a few too many unforced errors and I was a bit nervous um 
but also it was great to have that experience. Those experiences don't come around very often, and I think I'll be better next time I play a top 10 player. Yeah, sounds like a great learning experience. And I, I guess when you're in those kind of positions, Storm, like maybe the you know if it comes around again, I'm, I'm sure it will. Do you feel as though it's uh, it's an opportunity for you just to, in some way, it's just just have a have a, a free swing basically at these ladies? Yeah, definitely. I think that was the thing. I almost like put too much pressure on myself, not necessarily to win the match, but like do too much in a way. Um, whereas I should have just gone out there and been like, you know what, whatever. There's no pressure on me. Like I shouldn't put any pressure on myself. You know. She doesn't know me. Like, I'm sure she's never watched me in, in her life. So, for me, I, I just, yeah, I think next time I go out there, I'll be a bit more aware of, like, the people interested in the match, um, knowing there's going to be more, I guess, people, fans and live streaming, being on, like, centre court at prime time and stuff. So, having that experience, I think, will help for sure. And um, you talk about the experience on court, but also off court. Um, I've heard you've done a psychology degree and a co- and you've got a coaching qualification. Talk us through that and what made you want to do both of those things. Um, yeah, so when I um, graduated high school, I always wanted to um, study, get a university degree. Um, I decided not to go to college because for me, I just didn't want to go to the to America. There was no real reason other than I just didn't want to live in the States and I wanted to kind of be home or come home, um, I guess, when I wanted to. Um, but, yeah, I decided to start studying my psych degree. I could do it online. Um, I did it part-time, so it took me, like, six years, <laughs> I think. Oh, bloody so, hell. Um, God. Yeah, I got it done, but it took a while. Um, and then my coaching um, course, I did it when I was injured, actually, so – um, they offered it for um, past players or present players who were injured or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I did that because I think, yeah, hopefully I get to coach when I finish. I think that's something that I want to do. So, um, yeah, I got that done and it's also helped me with my career, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you can make us better tennis players. We'll pay you definitely. Um, <laughs> but uh, just uh, before before we get to a little bit of fun, um, talk tell us about the name Storm as well. If I, if I've um, read correctly, it's from a, a Wilbur Smith novel. It's not it's not a name you'd see every day. So tell us about where the uh, the origins of the name. You've definitely done your research, haven't you? You're I tried. Right. I've tried. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Um... There's no crazy story. Like, everyone, I think, thinks there's, like, some crazy story with my name. But, yeah, it's out of a book. My parents, like, love the novel um, by Wilbur Smith. And, yeah, the character was named Storm Courtney. So, um, yeah, that's me, I guess. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Now, just to finish <laughs> off, Storm, we, uh, we have this uh, fun little segment we've got called Rapid Fire. And, basically, we just ask you a whole bunch of random questions. And we say that the reason for it is because we like to get to know uh, a bit about the person that stands behind the player. And I must admit that a lot of these questions that we've taken are inspired by your name. So and you'll, <laughs> okay. you'll, probably, you'll probably be able to pick them up as we go through them. So, And there are no right or wrong answers, by the way. You can say whatever you like, however long you like as well. So the first one is Maccas or KFC? Mm, Maccas. The really? fries are good. Really? Or yeah. KFC no, no, with no. extra seasoning? Oh, it's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah. Tough choice, tough choice. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Um, definitely a dog person. I don't actually have a dog, but, um, yeah, hopefully one day I will. Yeah, I don't think anyone that we've asked that to has said cats yet, which is kind of no surprise. I'm a, hey, I'm um, a cat person. <laughs> you know this, John. What's, what's the best thing about Perth? 
Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to say the beaches for sure. I think the whole West Coast is amazing and my parents' house is on the beach. So I miss that. I love going back and just walking to the beach in the mornings. Yeah, perfect. And I, I read that you're, uh, you're a keen surfer as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yep. um, my dad taught me and my brother when we were like four years old, I think. So um, we learned so young that like, yeah, it's just, it's like riding a bike for me and my brother, but I don't get to do it much here in Melbourne. It's, you know, don't have much time, but when I go home, definitely try to um, get out there. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? What's your favorite sport <laughs> other than tennis? Um, that's a really tough question. Uh, well, I like watch so many sports. So to watch probably like footy just because, you know, being in Melbourne as well, like it's on all the time and, you know, it's a shame we don't have any games on in Melbourne at the moment, but, you know, just watching it, it's on the TV all the time. Um, yeah, I don't know, like to play, I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't have one, I guess. (laughs) Fair enough. Now, I I cannot believe I'm asking you this question, but I'm going to ask it. What's your favourite (laughs) conference song? Kind of storm. Yeah, like a sandstorm or a, even a media storm, thunderstorm. Um, oh, I've never thought about it. So I'm going to say <laughs> thunderstorm just because, like, I don't know, sometimes it's, like, pretty to look at if there's lightning. Yeah, so that's true. I guess that's it. <laughs> Journalistic gold right there. No one's going to top that for content. No. What's the best <laughs> place jokes. you've travelled through tennis? Um... I love Italy. I don't really have like a specific place in Italy, but I think um, it's just beautiful in general. Like if we hire a car and we can drive around and just the culture there is like amazing. It's it's fun, the food and everything. So Italy's probably up there. Now the flip side of the coin, what's the worst place you've traveled to for tennis? <laughs> hmm. Worst place. Oh, there's uh, there was this one place I can't remember what it's called. It's in America. Um, it was like some small little town, and I remember I was walking from the hotel to the um to the like the shops, and the tournament transport saw me walking, and they pulled over and they said, "What are you doing walking?" I was like, "What do you mean? I'm just walking to the supermarket. Like it's only maybe seven hundred meters or something." He's like, "No, Storm, you can't walk around here. Like make sure you always get like transport." Really? Just call us any time of the day, you get transport. And, you know, I never felt unsafe, but they pretty much told me that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, like, not good, you know? Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty ominous. Jeez. Far out, that's right. frightening. <laughs> that is frightening. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Was, it in the, was it in the yeah. south of America or was it sort of somewhere just um, north? No, it was west? in California. Wow. Oh, well. There um, are some dodgy parts. Like, near, I'm not sure where it was. Like, I think... I think anywhere you can have some dodgy, like little parts of any kind of city, I guess. And yeah. I'm, we must have just been in kind of like the wrong area. Yeah, wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> if you weren't a tennis player and you could do anything else, what would you like to do? Um, I, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a school teacher. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, like cool. sports or, yeah, I don't know. I think for me, I love, um, I don't know, teaching people things or, um, yeah, just trying to like help educate people or, or whatever. So I think, yeah, I, I think I would, I don't know if I still would like to do that because I have friends and school teachers and it doesn't sound too easy. So I'm not sure, but I guess I did want to do that when I was younger. 
Yeah, dealing with little kids is probably not my forte either. So now that would, I think that would probably <laughs> frustrate me more than anything. Um, I think probably same with Joel. But um, Storm, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. You're one of the most bubbly and lively personalities, one of the most lovely personalities that we have on the WTA. And we're, um, we wish you all the best here on Breakpoint. And we hope that, fingers crossed, the, the tour does go well for you this year and you can get into the French Open and really do some damage. So Storm Sanders, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Storm Sanders there joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. How fun was that chat, Joel? Yeah, that was great. And um, tell you what, Val, after all the chat about COVID and negativity and all that stuff, it just seems to just be dominating the, the news at the moment every single week. But after listening to Storm, I mean, how how infectious is that personality? Like, I just... I'm feeling good. Yeah, feeling me good too. Enough. No, that was that was awesome. I think it was exactly what we needed after the um after all of this COVID news. And yeah, it was nice to just chat about some um some fun stuff and have a little bit of a laugh. And um yeah, the, some of those rapid fire questions were truly awful, but the awfulness made it good. So <laughs> yeah. um so yeah, sometimes you got to be bad to be good. And those dad jokes, uh, dad jokes one oh one written by Joel Frucci there. But um yeah, I think um <laughs> I think they I think they'll come off. But yeah, no, that was um that was a fantastic chat. And interesting um that she's actually got permission to go over to Europe and, and play. So fingers crossed she can get over there and do some damage and get herself back into the uh, top hundred or get herself into the top hundred in singles for the first time and entrench herself in the doubles the doubles top hundred on the WTA. But the uh, Benoit of the week this week, um, our very famous segment now, we, we hope anyway, one day he will be on the show to introduce the segment and um, <laughs> he can award it to someone. Maybe we'll get him on to intro the Benoit of the year. But um, no, it's it's one of our favourite segments for our charismatic Frenchman. There was footage of him this morning throwing a racket at the fence at the ultimate tennis showdown in the south of France. He, Classic. God, if, if he was to go into the Olympics as like a... As, as, I don't know, it was a hammer thrower or something. I reckon he'd, he'd, seriously, do, he'd seriously do all right. So Benoit Pair, absolutely, that that, uh, that racket went flying. If you haven't seen it, go. it's on our, it's on our social media page uh, at Twitter at Breakpoint Pod. Go and watch it because he unfurled, he just threw that thing. Um, but yeah, so it's named after Benoit and it's whether you've had a good week or, or a bad week, whatever. But um, this week... The Benoit goes to uh, a man that we both know very well, and one of them is Joel. And well, one of them knows him extremely well because he's you, Joel. Um, <laughs> and you had a no. bit of a you when putting our Benoit post up on Facebook last week. There was a little bit of a typo there, and you called him Enoir. And it and my mum picked that out, and before I did, um, I hadn't seen it on Facebook, but she sent me a screenshot. And I sent it through to you, and um, I think, and yeah, I thought, well, you know what? I've had a Benoit nomination. There's no real other Benoit nominations this week, so it's time for Joel to get on the uh, on the honor board, and um, you get the Benoit, or should I say, Enoir of the week. So, is there anybody you would like to thank? Oh, thanks, Val. Um, yeah, just uh, want to thank the family. Um, want to thank the boys. Uh, <laughs> want to thank God. Um, <laughs> And uh, I want to thank the devil as well because, um, yeah, he keeps God accountable. But, um, yeah, no, um, I actually, funnily enough, I just jumped on Wikipedia on Ben Ben Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) Under under his uh, personal life, turns out he actually has an evil twin brother named Benoit. 
Oh, God. Um, so maybe just... I was right. Maybe it wasn't a typo. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe and the he's... new segment is named after his uh, evil brother, Enwar. Maybe. And he's got a dog named Ravioli as well. So um, it's such yeah. a typical name for a dog by Benoit, Ravioli. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that um, fa- yeah, that boy, family uh, guy he, quote. He <laughs> <laughs> oh, just and just for future reference, uh, that quote, the God and the Devil one, is is on uh, Family Guy. So um, yeah, go please. <laughs> 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 I had to throw it in. Oh, that was the that was the last thing I was expecting you to pull out there. Um, <laughs> on that note, we should probably finish up because um, this show has gone from tennis to Family Guy to. Just absolute fits of laughter. So, Joel, thank you very much for your part in the show. Yeah, no worries, mate. I'm going to call off. Yeah, I think we both need to. You can follow Joel on Twitter at Joel Fridge, myself, Valfebo, uh, VFebo96. You can follow Breakpoint Podcast on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast, and at Breakpoint Pod. One, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on uh, Wooshka as well and Spotify to where there, wherever you get your podcasts from. If you need your weekly tennis fix, tune in. But a lot of fun today. It started off a little bit somber, had a fun chat with Storm and just ended with some absolute fits of laughter. Thanks to Joel Frucci there and his Benoit of the week. Plenty to get through on the rest of the year in 2020. When we come back next week, live tennis will be back with the WTA in Palermo. We'll catch you then, everyone.